In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Ghost. One of the weirder things that I saw in the lead-up to the holiday season this year was a house not too far away from our church that was decorated for both Halloween and Christmas at the same time, with Santa Claus and the baby Jesus next to skeletons and jack-o'-lanterns. And for a brief moment, I despaired for the future of Western civilization. As you well know, I firmly believe that the sacred liturgy and not trends or marketing campaigns should form our lives. And this year, I felt that very acutely. But there were other things that I saw this season that also brought great joy. On Earl Street downtown, an entire street of people to bring cheer to a neighbor suffering from a terminal illness put an inflatable Santa in the front of every person's house. What a beautiful testament to a community coming together to support each other in a time of need, just with joy, when many people don't quite know what to say or what to do. I ended up driving up and down that street several times in recent weeks, and it reminded me of that spirit that should impel us as believers in Christ in a community, in a family of faith, to serve each other in joy. On Boxing Day, I came across a great message on the internet Come over and keep celebrating Christmas with us Catholics where we're just getting started. We just shook off the retail part. That hit different for sure. So our Christmas cycle ends on February the 2nd, the feast of the presentation of Jesus in the temple, the purification of the Blessed Virgin. The 12 days of Christmas ends on the Feast of the Epiphany on January the 6th. Now, of course, as you know, the bishops of the United States and their wisdom decided in the 1970s that Americans could not possibly be expected to go to church again on another holy day of obligation like the rest of the Universal Church does on the heels of both Christmas and New Year's. And so we've had that feast transferred to the nearest Sunday ever since. But this feast and octave of the Epiphany reminds us that Christmas is, in one sense, the gift that keeps on giving. Epiphany means manifestation. And it is actually the solemnity where we commemorate three manifestations of the divinity of Christ. At Bethlehem, where the Magi offered gifts to a child they knew was King and God. At the Jordan, where the Father reveals Jesus as the Son, and we learn that the Father and the Son are one in divinity. And at Cana, where Jesus turns water into wine, at a wedding feast, a miracle which changes the natural order, a proof of divinity, 
and a prerogative of God alone. At Vespers, the praying church breaks it down for us in the Magnificat Antiphon. Three miracles glorify this sacred day. Today the star led the Magi to the crib. Today at the wedding feast, water was changed into wine. Today for our salvation, Christ willed that John baptize him in the Jordan. Alleluia. Salvation history is filled with these moments which can best be described as like earthquakes, which disrupt the normal, ordinary, and received order of things with reminders that God does indeed act in the lives of His people. In Exodus chapter 3, verse 14, God manifests Himself to Moses in the burning bush. I am who am. A thousand years before the Greek philosophers started talking about God in terms of pure act, God reveals to Moses that it is the nature of God to be. This holy name revealed to Moses was so sacred that to this day, the Jews do not pronounce it. They use all manner of circumlocutions to get at the point, like Adonai or Elohim, but the name was uttered once a year by the high priest in the temple behind a thick, heavy veil that separated this sacred space from the profane secular world. In the baptism, in the River Jordan, we have another one of those epiphany moments, another earthquake of seismic proportions when the Holy Ghost comes down in the form of a dove to hover over the waters and the sinless one who emerged from the waters and the voice of the Father coming down from heaven, this is my beloved Son in whom I am well pleased. To Moses, God reveals that He is and that He is one. To John the Baptist, God reveals that He is one in three, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. The earthquake of the Trinity would be a challenge to the Jews who could not accept Jesus as the Messiah, as well as to the pagans who were polytheists who believed in many gods. And you know the results of that earthquake, we can see even today, there is always a chasm between the Christian and every other religion in the world, even those with whom we share a belief in the oneness of God because of one moment in time which changed the history of man with the revelation of divinity. God has a name. God has a name we can call on, and it is the name of the Word made flesh, Jesus. And just as Mary and Joseph lovingly said that name over and over again, 
And the apostles called after him over and over again, and the crowds knew his name and used it. So do we. Think about it. To know someone's name is to know them. And to name them is, in some sense, to have a certain power over them. When we call someone's name, they hear us, they answer us, or they refuse to answer it. We can use someone's name in detraction, calumny, and gossip, or we can use someone's name in praise, thanksgiving, and love. When we use someone's name, it indicates that there is some form of relationship there. And that is the great glory of the incarnation and the epiphany. In revealing that Jesus is the name above every other name, the name belonging to the Son, we are given a divine name that is no longer reserved to one man once a year in one place, the special preserve of one people. Jesus belongs to all men and women and children at all times and in all places, and the relationship that use of the name indicates is open to everyone. And what's even more amazing about this is that Jesus even allows that name to be used by robbers, brigands, and haters. He allows himself and his name to be blasphemed, contradicted, and ignored. Why? I want you to think about the fact that if Jesus stopped thinking about you for the smallest fraction of a second, you would disappear off this earth like you had never existed. But that doesn't happen. Why? Because love does not impose a relationship on others. It is a gift. And when we receive the gift of God, we receive a gift that keeps on giving, for love is inexhaustible. And so we respond to that name with reverence and tenderness and devotion. Now, I'm sure that you've noticed during the sacred liturgy that at the name of Jesus, the ministers of the altar bow their heads, right? They just did, okay? That is not a nervous tick. Although I am fully aware that we have people in the congregation who, for fun, like to count how many times the ministers doff their berettas at the name of Jesus during the homily, right? Oh, Father, that was a 16 Jesus sermon this morning, so, right? I guess everybody has a hobby. Okay. So. But all Christians should bow their heads at the name of Jesus. We should never use the name of God in vain ever, lest we become an obstacle to the gospel and a scandal to the life-giving cross.
we should be very proactive in making reparation for blasphemies against the holy name and courageous in uprooting any irreverence in our behavior. Sometimes that means that we make the sign of the cross at which the demons flee in public. When we hear the name defiled by sordid abuse and misuse. And then there are times when we need to engage people firmly and directly not to speak that way, not because it offends our sensibilities, but because it is a sin against God. You know, in one of my previous parishes, I knew a Southern Catholic gentleman of the old school who absolutely hated it when people used any kind of rough language, especially using the name of God. One time there was a man who was telling a story, okay, sprinkling his narrative with F-bombs and cussing and swearing a blue streak that would make a sailor blush. And when he finally dared to bring God into it, this very kind and gentle man marched right up to the guy in the middle of everyone and said in the most delightful of drawls, Sir, I would like to know what it is about my personality that you think it is acceptable to speak to me or God like that so I can change it. He turned and walked away. He wasn't going to indulge the name of his Lord and Savior being treated so flippantly, so carelessly, and so nastily anymore. And the power and strength of that saintly man's conviction was such that it stopped the blasphemer in his tracks. And he learned a needed lesson that day that he never forgot. My friends, we desperately need this witness today in our culture. During this octave, we celebrate all of those earthquakes by which God broke into human history with manifestations of His presence. So today is the day to put aside any and all behaviors that lead us away from the reverence with which Moses took off his shoes before the burning bush, the reverence with which the wise men fell down and prostrated themselves before the Christ child, the reverence with which the believer allows the body and blood, soul and divinity of Christ to be placed upon the tongue of the Christian who kneels in adoration of the God present in the Eucharistic offering of love. 